mean you didn't have a screen. Thank you very much. I, I love that I can see, hopefully, what you can see, and then only one of us will be introduced. I told you to put it in, in Spanish. In Spanish. Uh, okay. This anyway, would you just bow your hearts Father, I, I do thank you for the incredible privilege we have to gather as your body. And, and God, I, I know this is a, a holiday weekend. I, I know that people are traveling. But I pray for the next few moments that you might just remove the picnics this afternoon or tomorrow, the family activities, all that's going on, and help us to listen to you. And God, I, I, I do pray that you would take your words teachers. Comfort us, challenge us, convict us, change us. For it's in your son's holy and precious name I ask. Amen. If I were to ask you to take out a half sheet of paper and rate your prayer life from one to ten, where would it be? My guess is that none of us in this room would give ourselves a ten, but I hope none of us would give ourselves a one. Prayer is one of those subjects that we all know we should do, but I'm not sure we always do. And so this morning, I want to explore the subject of prayer, but I have to be honest. I'm not going to probably share anything you haven't heard before, but I'm always amazed. One of the parts of my job now is I get a privilege of doing a tremendous amount of travel, and something always perplexes me. Why do they put so many speed limits on them? My guess is every one of you in here, even if you aren't old enough to drive, know what the speed limit is on the interstate. Why do they have to keep putting 70 miles an hour, or 65 miles an hour, or 55 miles an hour? Because we as human beings have this incredible ability to forget. And sometimes we don't need new. We just need a reminder of hope. And so for the few moments we have this morning, I want to explore the subject of prayer. Does God answer your prayers? Dr. Raymond Edmund is maybe not a name that you're familiar with. He was president of Wheaton College in the 50s and 60s. It, it was a name that was somewhat special to me because that was the time my father went to Wheaton. And he was an incredible individual. And I asked my dad and heard some stories about it. He would begin every chapel service. There was a Bible on the, uh, the platform. And he would begin each chapel with a psalm in order. And so one year, the students decided to play a bit of a practical joke on him and tore the page in the Bible that had the next psalm on it. He ascended into the podium and quoted it from memory. He had all the psalms memorized. He did beat But the story that really impacted me, I was reading a little bit about his life. And following seminary, he felt God's call to the, to the Ecuadorian rain jungle. He and his wife went and began to minister to, to some unreached people, and shortly after arriving, he contracted typhoid. Typhoid can be incredibly dangerous, and many die from it. Finally, they called the doctor in, and as the doctor examined him, he turned to his wife and said, I'm sorry. There's virtually no chance for well, because bodies decomposed very rapidly, several of the missionaries dug a grave. His wife took her wedding dress, dyed it black, and everyone prepared for the funeral. Thousands of 
and they sit there staring in space. Even though Jesus had clearly said, go wait in Jerusalem. By the way, some angels have to come along and say, what are you guys doing? You know what he said? Go wait. <coughs> Be honest. If you had been there, wouldn't you have stood and stared into the sky until you couldn't see anymore? Uh, people don't just ascend and disappear. That just doesn't happen. So Jesus did. And then they go to what he Maybe you enjoy waiting. I don't enjoy waiting at a stop. Let alone having somebody say, go wait. Okay, Jesus, how long? Is it 10 minutes? Hours, 10 days, 10 years, 2,000 years. How long do I have to wait? Doesn't tell me. So they go back up to the upper room, probably where that last supper was, and, and as they are there, we are told that they were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. Many years ago, I heard a sermon in which the pastor made a point that I've never forgotten. He says, if you read the story of the early church, they prayed for 10 days, Peter preached for 10 minutes, and thousands were saved. We try and pray for 10 minutes and pray for 10 days, or preach for 10 days and wonder why nobody listens. They were consumed with prayer. You come to the, the next chapter, following Pentecost, it, it says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles' doctrine and to prayer. And then in chapter 6, the first conflict in the church arises as uh, the Greek widows don't feel like they're getting the same care that the Jewish widows are. And finally, the apostles gather and they come to the conclusion, we don't have time for all of this. We are going to devote ourselves to two things. Prayer and the teaching of the apostles' words. Uh, last Wednesday, I was at a uh, meeting with a church that's in the process of looking for pastors. And they were talking about job descriptions. What should our job description be? What should be involved in it? What does a pastor need to do? And somebody made a fascinating statement. He says, so much of what we expect from a pastor is from Christendom, not the Bible. I would encourage you to go find a passage that says the pastor should go visit everybody in the house. To go to every single meeting the church has. This is what is expected of the pastor, to devote himself to prayer and to the preaching of the apostles' teaching. That's what they were devoted to. I wonder what they were devoted to. Now, maybe it's because of my name, but my favorite person in the Old Testament is amazingly enough Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 6, there's the story that I am confident I could hand the microphone to any one of you and you could tell it's the story of Daniel and the lion's den and, and how God sends his angel and shuts the mouths of the lion and Daniel sleeps very well and eventually gets out of it. Do you remember the whole story? Daniel was probably an 80 or 90 year old man. Next time you think you're too old to do anything for God, read the story of Daniel. And Daniel had been an authority in the Babylonian Empire that had fallen and was replaced by the Persian Empire. And the Persian king, Darius, had set Daniel in a position of authority. And the Persians were like, no way, dude, he can't be in charge. We've got to find a way to get rid of him. And so they begin to explore every avenue. And they can't find a single thing to condemn a politician for. Think about that for a few moments. <laughs> Finally, they say the only way we're going to condemn him is if we make it illegal for him to worship his God. 
And so they voted rice and said, hey, Bryce, we've got a really good idea. You're a new king. Let's see who's truly loyal to you for 30 days. Say, no one can pray to anybody but you. 30 days. Not the rest of your life. Not forever. For 30 days, one month, you cannot pray. Would you give up praying for 30 days? This very life. David couldn't even go a couple of hours. Because three times a day, he proved with his own, and he declared, praying is more important to me than life itself. That's the question. If you went 30 days without prayer, would you even notice? Are we devoted to prayer? And then he continues by this word, watchful. The word watchful is used most graphically in the story of Jesus in the garden. You remember the story of Jesus gathers his disciples in the upper room. They have the, the last Passover Seder, and then Judas goes off to betray him. And the other 11 and Jesus go to the garden, and in the garden, Jesus begins to pray. And as he prays, he begs with his disciples, I, I need you to pray with me. And he brings three of them, Peter, James, and John, and says, pray with me. He goes off for a little bit. He prays as deeply as any human has ever prayed. And he comes back with all three of them. And Jesus condemns them and he says to them, He says to them, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said, Could you not keep watch with me? ever tried to pray for an extended period of time, it doesn't really matter what position you take. A person can sleep in almost any position. And it absolutely boggles my mind how I can set aside, I am going to pray, and how easy it is to drift off the Jesus, I believe his disciples three times. Can't you pray with me? Even for one hour? Education. That's just crazy. 
and you have to be a young man and one who doesn't really like to sleep very much. And, and so I didn't have any time to see any of the touristy things. The only time I had a chance to see any of the touristy kinds of things in India was between the first and second semester. The, the school took two weeks off for their Christmas break, but most of the students couldn't afford to go back home. And so they planned these outings uh, to some of the tourist areas around. And one of the outings was to a camp up in a place called Moody. It was up in the mountains. It was in jungle. It was much different than the city that I was living in. But India is a completely different land. If you were to go to the mountains of Iowa, go to Village Creek, close to hills in Iowa, you would find lots of animals, things like deer, squirrels, rabbits. In India, they have things like tigers and lions. But the biggest one is elephants. Now, I, I know that you probably have this lovely idea of elephants. There are more people killed every year in India by elephants than any other animal. In fact, if you go online, you can see pictures like this. See, the way the, the family dynamics of an elephant herd works is they can only have one male, uh, one adult male, and so all the other adult males are kicked out of their herd, and they just go around the, the rest of their life mad at everything, and they just come up to trees, and because they can, they knock them over. The camp I was staying at went to the dining hall, and right where you would get your food was this large picture of somebody who'd been trampled to death by an elephant. Lovely image as you're gathering your food. And it said underneath there, elephants are common. Don't wander outside of the camp at night. Or this might be you. Well, you know, you, you hear those kinds of stories, but come on. What's the likelihood of seeing an elephant in the wild? It's never going to happen to me. The, the next day, I went with a couple other people, and we were doing some hiking outside of the camp, and we came to a small little stream. It was maybe six foot across. It was just a couple inches deep. And as we began to wade across the stream, something jumped up and ran away in the bushes on the other side. Now, the one guy who was traveling with me was convinced it was a wild hawk. In my mind, it was most definitely an elk. But it's amazing how that incident put a different flavor to the rest of the day. Maybe paranoid, more than watchful, is a good description. But can I suggest the same thing happens in our prayers? You go along in your prayer life, and then suddenly you hear, I'm sorry, it's canceled. And prayer takes a whole different flavor. I'm sorry. We no longer need you. Your time in our company is gone. I'm sorry. I no longer want to be a part of this family. And those horrific experiences of life change radically how we approach prayer. Because we are suddenly reminded that we are in desperate need of God. Oh, we would learn to pray that way all the time. Paul says we should devote ourselves being watchful. And this is maybe Paul's favorite point as he writes his story. He longs for us to be faithful. I'm afraid Thanksgiving 
instantly brings up the idea of a holiday in November to most of us. Not a daily discipline in our lives. When was the last time you spent an hour simply saying thank you? What would you give thanks for? I'm glad you asked. Can I take you on a real quick tour of the book of Colossians? In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul begins by giving thanks for the people that God has brought into his life. How many people has God brought into your life? How many people have you had the wonderful privilege of being with, growing with, living with? This morning is Memorial Day. Memorial Day has become the ceremonial beginning to summer, and virtually nothing more. In fact, I, I, I love history, and one of the things that I did several years ago it was to read a little bit about the, the Memorial Day celebration began in the Civil War, and you can track it through American history. It was celebrated most a few years after the war. But as soon as the war would begin to fade in the minds of people, so did Memorial Day. What do I care about the people who died I didn't know them. My guess is you didn't know them. Can we give thanks for those who have gone before us that have Paid the ultimate price for us to gather. Do you give thanks? I am in a different church almost every Sunday. I, I was sharing that I had been in the same church two weekends in a row until last Sunday. I actually spoke at Forest Park two Sundays in a row. It was the first time in a year I've been in the same church. And it is amazing to me how easy it is to complain about the people in the church. Rather than giving thanks for them. When was the last time you gave thanks for the pastor? My guess is if you simply took a few moments and charted down the people who have had an impact in your life, you would take a tremendous amount of time. In fact, if I may give you a homework assignment, one of the disadvantages of being a pastor as opposed to a teacher is I don't get to grade your homework, so you don't really have to do it. But can I challenge you to take some time tomorrow? some of the people that God has put in your life and say thank you for But then he comes in verse number 12 and he says giving thanks actually I should have included verse 11 because verse 11 ends with the word joyfully. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. If you have nothing else to give thanks for you can give thanks that God qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. You can't earn the right to be in heaven. Only God can qualify you, and yet he did through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son. And because you've been qualified, you've been removed from the dominion of darkness. I don't know about you, but I am growing ever familiar with just how dark a world really is. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's easy to become discouraged by the darkness around us. And yet, we are not part of this kingdom because we have been delivered from this domain and have been brought into the kingdom of God's incredible Son who redeemed us, forgave us, so that we can be with Him forever. If you have no people in your life, you have nothing else that you can give thanks for. 
verse 12 and 13 and 14 of Colossians chapter 1 ought to take us hours to get through. And then Paul launches off into the greatest Christological passage anywhere in the New Testament as Paul is going to try and explain exactly who Jesus is. And as he comes to chapter 2, he's wrapping up his Christological discussion. Therefore, you've received that Christ Jesus. <laughs> so walk in. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You ought never to be able to read the great Christological passages in the New Testament without falling on your face and saying thank you. And then in chapter 3, he begins to apply some of this. And he says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. And he says, you ought not to be focused on this world, but on the next. And then he goes on and he says, there are certain things you need to put off. There are certain things that you need to put on. And as you learn to put off the right things and put on the... Uh, put off the wrong things and put on the right things, the result is a peace that no one outside of Christ can truly understand. A peace not dependent upon the goodness of the moment. It would be dependent upon the goodness of the Savior. And he says, let this peace of Christ rule in your heart to which you were indeed called and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And he goes on in verse number 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through faith. Are you a thankful person? If I were to ask your spouse, your parents, your children, give me three words that summarizes this person. How many of them would say they're a thankful person? Paul gave us three ways to pray, and then I have to be honest, this bothered me a little bit when I first came here. Paul says pray for us. Isn't it just a bit self-centered? You just to ask other people to pray for you.
best possible pastor. And it's for you. So pray for him. I think God has blessed you with an incredible man. And I have thoroughly enjoyed reuniting our friendship and getting to know him better. God has brought you an incredible individual who week after week opens God's word and shares with you. But he's dependent on you praying for him. Do you? And if I can challenge you, okay, you've already forgotten about that whole desire to uh, sit down and write out people in your life that you're thankful for. Okay, you forgot that already. Let me throw out a second homework assignment. Can you purpose that each day this week you are going to make certain that you live up Pastor Orville in your He's given an incredible responsibility, one that he will one day answer for how he has lived out that responsibility. But I think it's one that you will answer.
says, please pray that I would have an open door to share the good news of Jesus Christ. All I care about, I don't care if I suffer. I just want to preach. Can I suggest God's answer? If you go to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians begins with this amazing statement. In chapter 1, he's going to say, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it became clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And he ends the book with this incredible statement in chapter 4. He's going to say, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How did Caesar's household hear the gospel? From the prison guard who were strapped to the apostle. In fact, tradition, I recognize tradition is not authoritative, but tradition suggests that the prison guard got wise enough to never allow anybody strapped to Paul for more than 12 hours. Because if they were, they were going to become Christian. See, prison couldn't stop the gospel. And all Paul longed for was a chance to have open doors. And then this really kind of perplexed me. Paul is my favorite author. Paul is probably the most Western, the most logical, the most three-point sermons you can find. I have never thought he had a struggle with being Christ. In fact, he says, I pray that you would have, God would allow me as I stand in front, as I sit next to, as I open God's word, as I proclaim the words he's given me. Please pray that I would be Christ. As one who gets to stand up here fairly regularly, I have to be honest, there are many Sundays I walk away wondering, that was blessed. I hope somebody got something, but I don't know how to get it. Being clear is way more difficult than it may appear to be. Okay? Suggest, encourage, I wish I had the power to command, that you pray regularly for horrible, that he would take every opportunity he has to open God's
that as he, in his study, week after week, opens your word, God, I pray that you would allow him to understand it, that he would be able to craft a sermon that is clear, and that you would use your word through his lips to change lives. Thank you for what you are doing and for what you will.